1: Welcome back to the Rock Your Retirement Show. I'm your host, Kathy Klein, and today we have Tay Kim in this series from the Sandwich Generation. Now, if you listened last week, you know that Tay is coming from the perspective of a 30-something who has small children. Most of my listeners are probably on the other end of that. You're probably in the grandparents' section. So if you are living or want to consider living in a multi-generational household, you must listen to this series. If you didn't listen to last week's show, you might want to head on over there and listen to it first. In last week's episode, we spoke about what the sandwich generation is and what issues you might face if you are a 30-something and you're taking care of both your parents and your own children. But we also looked at it from the perspective of the grandparent, the people who listen to this show. What could you expect if you wound up moving in with your children? It can help you and your children save money. And so you can both have a better life. Today, we're going to be talking about six lessons for the sandwich generation. Next week, we'll talk about the pros and cons of multi-generational living. And in the fourth episode, we'll discuss tips for living in a multi-generational household. This includes things like planning ahead and organizing shared expenses. So if you are considering moving in with your children, or if you know someone who's having financial challenges, then this series is for you. My guest today is a blogger who writes about finances and also being in the sandwich generation. Tay and his wife cohabitate with his aging parents while raising their own small children and building their careers. But before we start, I wanted to tell you that this episode is brought to you by the Medicare Quick step-by-step guide for signing up for Medicare. This step-by-step guide is absolutely free and will help you easily make the transition into Medicare. Get it free at medicarequick.com checklist. Tay, thank you so much for coming back. And let's talk now about the article that we're discussing, which is called The Six Lessons for the Sandwich Generation. And I do know that you could probably have written this this article, and I've got it pulled up on my screen right now. The listener, we're testing a program that allows Tay and I, to to view the same thing at the same time so we can talk about <laughs> the article. Um, one of the things that it says in the very beginning is that you and your parents should talk about money. Is it something <laughs> that you and your parents have done?
2: Not exactly, but we are aware of each other's finances. I think the importance of what the article is talking about is You want to have as much information as possible on both ends. So the way my wife and I started uh, living together with my parents, as we referred to in the last episode, was uh, a good part of it was finances. So my wife and I, we live in um, Orange County, Southern California, where housing, housing is very expensive. My wife and I were typical millennial where we are, we started off our marriage um, about eight years ago with $105,000 in student loans.
1: Wow. Best- $105,000. That's incredible.
2: Yeah. Not the smartest decision. It was, it's a funny story where um, my wife and I, when we were engaged, I remember my wife, she wanted to have a serious conversation and she was like, you know, I have to tell you something. And I was like, Oh, like, what is it? Um, and I was like, it was super serious. So I was like, oh my goodness, like, do you, have you been married before? Do you have a kid somewhere? And she says, I have $15,000 in student loans.
1: And then you. And,
2: <laughs> and I had 90,000. So I was, I, I responded to that. I was like, haha, don't worry, honey. I have 90,000. I see you 15. I counted that with my 90.
1: Tay, were you concerned that if she was so concerned about 15,000, that she might not want to marry you since you had 90,000? <laughs>
2: she already said yes at that <laughs> moment. it was after we got engaged
1: <laughs> so she couldn't take the engagement back that's it once she yeah, said she, she, that.
2: She, she, she could have but thankfully she didn't thankfully uh <laughs> she she committed to um the the burden that i was bringing to the marriage now but, you have uh, a great
1: story about what you did after you got married you you are a follower of somebody who helps people get out of debt do you want to tell that story
2: Yes. Yeah. So, thankfully, right after we got married, uh, we went to a Dave Ramsey conference here in California. He came out to Long Beach, California, and prior to going his, to his conference, I think I had a very, a very skewed perspective about money. My family came from Korea when I was eight years old, so uh, with a lot of immigrant families, money management wasn't something that we discussed at the, in the house. Um, money was always tight, and we knew that. But from my parents' perspective, their advice to be successful was go to college, you know, study hard, go to college, get a good job, and, you know, good luck after that. So uh, we followed that template, but I came into the working world without understanding how credit score worked, what good debt or bad debt was, how to invest, nothing like that. So of course, in my 20s, I made all of the wrong decisions. I bought a brand new car. I uh, leased furniture. I leased an apartment that I couldn't afford. And so by the time uh, I went to graduate school in, uh, and uh, we entered into our marriage and listening to Dave Ramsey, where you know he calls you out on all these dumb decisions that I made, it just kind of really, really triggered something for both my wife and I that we had to get our act together. So we dial back everything. Uh, We decided that we're going to live off one income and use the other to pay down the loan. So we were able to pay down the $105,000 in about three and a half years.
1: Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
2: it was when we reflect on it, it was definitely, um, we call it both blessing and a curse because it was, you know, it was emotionally overwhelming, but at the same time, it taught us such a good money management skill. Um, knowing how to live off a budget, knowing how to save, knowing how to how to say no to a lot of things, and honestly, it's hard, especially living in the Orange County, where you know you see just uh, um, this affluence everywhere, or this perspective of affluence everywhere.
1: Keeping up with the Jones. Um,
2: yeah, definitely, definitely. So it definitely taught us good money management skills. So since then. After having paid off our student loan, we've definitely been able to get into better financial position. And during that time, we also, you know, we had our children and which triggered the decision to live, start cohabiting cool with my parents. I think for us, having this good financial management skill has really helped us tremendously as regards to Not only take care of our kids, but then to an extent be able to provide overhead support for my parents.
1: So I have a question. Uh, First, I want to tell the listener who Dave Ramsey is, just in case you Mm -hmm. haven't heard. Dave Ramsey has a very popular radio show and podcast where people come in and he helps them figure out how to get out of debt. His main thing is cut your expenses to the bone, get a second job, don't use credit. That's kind of what he what what he uh, mm-hmm. preaches, but also people come onto the show and they they yell, "I'm debt free." Did, right. did you get to do that? I'm debt free. Yell.
2: No, no. I mean, we we thought about it after we paid it off, <laughs> but uh, I think we were a little too shy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. We were. Okay, yeah. great. Now, do yeah. your parents? So, your when your parents moved in with you. Mm-hmm. So let's say I'm 65, 66 years old and I've made this this great offer to my children mm-hmm. that I will basically give them the down payment yeah. and if and to the listener if you want to know the whole story just listen to the first episode but th- the first episode of the series did you know about their finances they knew that you were in debt did you yeah. didn't ask them about their finances have you do you, do you know anything about their finances now
2: Yeah, I think I definitely know more. We didn't have a formal sit down and let's say, let's kind of open up everything. But what I've I've noticed is as we started to live together, my parents have deferred some of the decision making to both my wife and I. So I think through that, uh, subtly, we've learned more about their finances. But growing up as an immigrant family, my parents didn't know anything about retirement savings, 401ks, Roth IRAs, nothing like that. So Uh, I knew they didn't have any of that. So whatever money that they saved was really the the down payment that they had for this home. Right now with my parents, I know like my mom, she received social security. My father has a small uh, printing business where he generates some income from that, but he's also living off primarily from social security. But their primary saving was pretty much in this home. So that was uh, thankfully (laughs) their offer was, hey, you know, will help you with the down payment. But, you know, with the caveat that we come with the home and you guys take care of all, you know, majority of the overhead expenses.
1: Mm. Okay. So that's, you know, it sounds like you're sharing information, but it's not formal.
2: Yeah. And I kind of scratched my head on like what the best way to approach a lot of these conversations at times, uh, just because there's a fine line of trying to balance Hey, I need to know everything, but while respecting my parents' independence and their decision-making. So I think definitely living together, we're able to have more natural, organic conversations where I learn more, but I don't know if I could sit down with them and be like, all right, let's learn everything.
1: (laughs) Here, let me get out my Uh, pencil and I want
2: to... Yeah. One of the ways that I've been able to have more conversations with them is my wife and I, we just... Uh, are going through the our will and trust process for just the two of us for our kids. So that's one of the ways that I've been able to kind of bring up the topic with my parents because they don't have a will or a trust set up.
1: That brings me I just want to remind the listener what article we're discussing, because I don't Mm -hmm. think I said that at the beginning of the show. We are going through an article written in 2015. It's called How to Manage Your Parents, Your Kids, and Your Sanity. So the first part of the article talks about finances. And then the author, Charles Passy, I believe is how he pronounces mm-hmm. it, talks about seeking out the right professionals and organizations. Yeah, and what yeah. it, he talks about is that estate plan and getting things in place. So rather than just going to your parents and saying, hey, what's your estate plan? Do you have a power right. of attorney? Yeah. I want yeah. it. You're you're doing it and then leading them by example.
2: Right, yeah. And we just had this last couple of weeks where I come home and I tell my dad, like, hey, we just came back from meeting with the estate lawyer. It was very informative. We learned about this and this and this. That naturally segues into like, you know, what have you thought about your estate plan?
1: right. <laughs> or,
2: do you know of any lawyer, uh, any Korean speaking lawyer? so then I think those are ways where I guess we can we can have more of that in conversation and more of those information out open without kind of forcing them to be like hey we gotta we gotta talk about this
1: That's great, that is great. okay, let's see what are some of the other things that they talk about now this next one um it does say make time for yourself now. My experience is the wife now it could be different with millennials, but the wife the burden in my generation is on the wife so if i yes. were let's say I had children and I want to move in with one of them, the conflict would generally be between me and the daughter in- law
2: mm-hmm. are,
1: are you finding that to be the case as well
2: Oh definitely yes <laughs> so it's, it's it's funny whenever i mean it's been six years. And both my wife and I, when we are able to kind of reflect upon what's happened, we're able to wisely say, oh, like, you know, we've grown a lot. But there's a lot of times where I come home and I get just see it in my wife's eyes, like, oh, no, like what happened between you and mom? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, the, it, it's like, oh, the the kitchen knife is wasn't you know like I placed it here how come your mom always moves it over here
1: it seems I'm like, like um, your wife is always bringing up this knife situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: it's the knife it's the ladle it's it's it's, it's you know there's always something but it's I think that's that the kitchen. Uh, yeah it's it's definitely where the kitchen I think we joke around how it's like the battleground mm-hmm. because we have one kitchen and it's a commingling space it's u- utilized by a lot of people it's been a challenge.
1: Do you have a solution for the kitchen or is it still a work in progress?
2: It's a work in progress. I and mean, we have some agreements that we come with uh, my mom as regards to, for example, in the refrigerator, we would say, okay, these two top sections, like, don't, please don't put anything here. This is for us. So then my wife knows that if she bought something from the grocery store, she always knows those are in those two sections.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then, you know, we have to keep reinforcing it even though like my parents would be like, okay, okay, I get it. But, you know, we have to keep reinforcing it. So I think what's helped out was just having different sections around the house that are identified as, you know, these are our areas Mm -hmm. or are your areas or, and in the shared areas kind of identifying what are the subsections in which, you know, this is where we want to keep ours and this is where you keep your items. So those agreements have definitely helped out. But are there agreements
1: the, regarding the children? How they're being raised? Has there been any arguments? Yes. Because you did bring in your parents finan, for financial reasons, but it turned mm-hmm. out that they're now also helping to co-raise your children. Are there? Yes. Have there been disagreements about children aren't allowed this and then the grandparents give them that or for whatever reason? Oh, definitely, happened? definitely.
2: I mean, grandparents love to spoil the grandkids, so... An example would be, he'll he'll come home late and uh, my kids, their name's Jonathan, Catherine. They'll be like, hey, Jonathan, you and Catherine, do you guys want some ice cream? And it's like 9 p.m. at night. (laughs) And we're like, oh, no, no, like that's not, we can't do that. (laughs) So we've had to let grandpa know, like come to a level of agreement saying, hey, after eight o'clock, can we make sure we're not giving them any snacks?
1: Especially sugar.
2: Yeah, especially sugar, (laughs) because they are not going to go to sleep.
1: Or you're just going um, to let them, you know, just make them both sleep at gra- in grandpa and grandma's rooms. If they're all loaded with yeah. sugar, okay, you're sleeping right. over there tonight.
2: <laughs> right, and you, 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 you have to deal with it. But it's definitely a fine balance between trying to, because we're also, one of the things that we talk about is we're still learning how to be good parents. We don't know what the best approach is. Coming to an agreement, but at the same time being open-minded that, hey, is this really that big of a deal? Um, aren't our children being able to uh, live in a home where they feel loved, that's more important versus trying to uphold certain rules. And you know, to be honest, at times, like we're not even sure if that rule is the best rule. So I think it's just finding that right balance between trying to have the best parenting approach, but at the same time being open enough to know kind of being able to step back and see the big picture and say, okay, you know, the the environment in which they grew up matters more.
1: Speaking of environment, uh, what about the relationship with your wife and you? How has yeah. that changed? I mean, obviously relationships change when there's children, but what about when there's mm-hmm. children and parents in the home? Do, yeah. you, do you have a lock on your bedroom door? How how do you yeah. deal with that?
2: Yeah, so we do have uh, our, our bedroom door does lock. <laughs> so. <laughs> Thankfully, we, the house that we, we live at is four bedrooms. The rooms are spaced out enough where we're not right next to each other. So there's two rooms on the one side of the house and two rooms in the other. So my parents use the two room on one side of the house and we have the two room in the other. So there's, there's a physical distance between the two. And we kind of, we know to not, if we ha- we're going to enter into their space, we knock. We let them know that this is not our space. Um, this is not like a kitchen where we can go in any so coming to that ar- arrangement, coming to that agreement of knowing like what's private space and what's shared space, that was very important.
1: Oh, that's good. And it's, it's good that it, it seems to be working.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think once again, I, I referred to the, the kitchen earlier, the shared space battleground. There's no perfect agreement. Um, I think we try to come to an agreement that works for both of us.
1: Maybe building a little kitchenette in that second room, uh, in the parents' area, might be a good, a good way to deal with that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've definitely we've definitely thought about it. We have a lot of discussions as regards to like the finances. Like, oh, it'd be great if they had this in their area, like a you know, separate kitchenette. What, do we want to invest the ten thousand dollars there, or do we want to save that so we can have the flexibility down the line? So those are the trade off discussions that we have.
1: Well, if it's only ten thousand uh, dollars, I think that would be a bargain.
2: <laughs> right, right. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I don't think yeah, you could yeah. put it. I could be wrong, but I don't think you could put it in a kitchenette for ten. Maybe like
2: really tiny kitchenette. <laughs> yeah, order. like
1: maybe you could go buy a burner at Costco right, and, a, right. uh, and a small refrigerator. So yeah, it sounds like you're you're still a work in progress when it comes to. Definitely. Definitely things worked out. What are some of the other issues that maybe the article didn't go over that you've come across?
2: The article talks about making time for yourself and making time for your loved ones. So I think having quality time with my wife, I think that's been crucial, like intentional quality time, just because having my parents there, you know, having little having our children there. If we are not intentional, weeks can go by without us having our own time. My wife's been really good at kind of alerting me saying, hey, we need to go for a walk or you and I need to go out so we can take advantage of the built-in childcare. So we would, you know, ask my parents, can you just watch the kids for just the evening while we go out for dinner? It's one of those things where if we're not intentional about it, like it wouldn't happen. Having alone time a couple of times a week, debrief about what happened, Talk about the kitchen knife.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: How she feels about it. Talking about the feeling in which I'm not in control. Knowing that this is the challenge of living in a multi generational household. If you're not talking to your partner about this on a regular basis, that's where things can really fall apart.
1: Right. Now, what about your parents? Do they schedule their alone time as well? Do they have a date night?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, they. Uh, we. I think when I when I was referring to. How rules have reversed. It's it's funny because they would go out and do their thing, and it's like nine o'clock at night, and I'm like texting them like, "Hey, you guys are are like late. Like, where are you? Like, you shouldn't be out this late." (laughs) So it's 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 interesting because like we joke around or like it's like I feel like we have four kids in this house, (laughs) (laughs) but they're they're adults. (laughs) They're adults. They're pretty good about spending time with each other. Um, they're very involved in the. We live in a community where there's a, a large Korean population mm-hmm. and the church is a pretty big hub for the Korean community. So they spend a lot of time at the church. That's their community, which which we recognize is so important. Just that sense of being around people, the similar life stage is, is so important for them.
1: That's great. Now your parents are still relatively young. They're mm-hmm. the same age as much of my audience. Mm-hmm. But in 10 years or so, they may or may not be driving. One right. of the nice thing about living in today's society is we have Uber, Lyft, and probably in 10 years, we'll have self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. Have you given much thought to the future and what your life is going to look like having your parents live it in your home?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, my wife and I, we discuss a lot about like, what the next 10 years would look like, especially with our parents. I think there's a lot of unknowns. But I think what we've come to an agreement is that as we've noticed how our parents become more subtly dependent upon us, we are gonna need to so we're looking at it from a financial perspective. We wanna be financially prepared so that when that time comes where they might need more support from one of us, whether it's you know driving them around or being at home more often, that one of us could, you know, leave our jobs or take a temporary time off our jobs and it would it would be okay. It wouldn't be it wouldn't have a detrimental effect on us. That's so I think great. we're thinking from that perspective because we're not, we're, we're, we'll never be fully prepared, I don't think, what kind of support my parents are going to need, but it's inevitable. So I think that's, we're just trying to financially be best prepared as possible for that.
0: That's
1: great. Well, I am so glad that you were able to come on the show again. And um, next week, we're going to be talking about an article written by. Melissa, I don't have a last name, but it's called, Is Multigenerational Living for You? What are the pros and cons? And we've already discussed some of the pros and cons, but we're hoping that the article will bring in some new thought processes in your own quest of whether or not you should do the same thing that Tay's parents did, offer to help out with the finances and potentially help out with the with the child care as well. Tay, thank you so much for coming on the show again. I really appreciate it.
2: Great. Thank you, Kathy.
1: Thank you. And for the listener, we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Hey,
0: this is just a shout out to Glenna Davis. And she has been a big supporter of mine on Patreon. And Glenna, if you're listening, I just wanted to thank you.